You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Good morning. All right. So no 8 o'clock. Did anybody show up at 8 a.m. this morning? All right, good. Was it <laughs> anyone else uh, had their car totally frozen over like me? Anybody else? Wow, y'all got up late. My car was totally frozen over, and I found uh, that there are three types of car frozen over people. The first is the, the type of person that goes and starts their car an hour before they leave, right? And they get every ounce of ice off of the car before they go. Is that anyone in this room? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm wanting some participation here. Anybody? Okay, one person. The second type of person is the person that scrapes little holes Right, so you can see, right? So there's like one here on the windshield and then one on this window so you see the mirror. The other one, there's a tiny one in the back, right? And you're driving along, like kind of peering out the little holes and making sure you don't get hit. And the other is what I did after college, which is I didn't do it. I just got in the car and went, right? Didn't even think about defrosting the windows. And I'm, I'm like driving out of my, you know, apartment complex by memory. And, and then, you, you know, you like stick your head out the window <laughs> so you can see, right? I did that for a while and then I had a family and kids and, and decided there's more, more to lose there. So I, I'm the type of person now that I, I scraped the little holes, right? So if you saw me driving down Duran, I had four little holes in my windows. And as I was driving here this morning, I was thinking about um, tunnel vision, right? And it was actually, there was something peaceful about it. I didn't see all the distractions. I just saw, you know, 10 feet of road uh, and then a couple of trees as I was driving down the road, right? And there was something therapeutic about it, but something extremely dangerous, right? And, and I think sometimes uh, we can get tunnel vision, right? We can come out of a year like 2020 and it's like, instead of suffering broadening our life, we kind of just pull in right, to us and our families, and we just want to see something really small. And so my prayer for us this morning, um, this has nothing to do with my sermon, my prayer for us this morning as we come to the word of God is that we come expectantly for God to widen our tunnel vision and to get us outside of ourselves and see what God's word has to say about our lives um, and how we pursue him. So uh, today, my title of my sermon, for those of you title people who are taking notes, is Emmanuel. Uh, not a Christmas sermon, right? So Emmanuel means what? God with us, right? Uh, and we did our Christmas series on Emmanuel uh, back last December. It was actually our first Christmas here before we all got slapped in the face by 2020. Um, and, and so Emmanuel means God with us. And so we're gonna talk about that today, but it's not gonna be about Christmas at all. It's gonna be about the God that comes and stays with us. And, and as I was thinking about this, oh, I don't have it. I thought about my key fob, okay? So great, Emmanuel key fob. My key fob is always in my pocket, okay? And I, I should have had my keys with me, but I don't fail. But it's attached to my key ring. When I, when I came on staff here back in January, Greg gave me this little blue key fob and it gets me in any door of the church, right? Um, and so for, for the first month, for January and February, I would, every time I go to a door, I pull up my key fob and go, boop, right? And I get in, right? And you're in the church, boop, 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 right? And so about midway through February, I was booping my way into the church and Will Blitch was walking behind me and he starts chuckling. He's like, what are you doing, man? I was like, I'm getting in the church, you know? And he's like, well, you know there's a code, right? You just type it in and hit enter and go in, right? I was like, well, this is easier, right? I got the key file, don't have to type the code, don't have to remember it, whatever. Well, the next time I come in, I type the code, doop, 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 boop, and it was so much easier. Like, I, instead of like, I'm coming in, carrying stuff, I'm like trying to find my keys, oh, they're in my car, I have to go back and get them. But instead, I can just type the code in and go in. And from then on, I never used my key fob again, right? 
It was in my pocket though. I kept it attached to my keychain. It looks used. It's been jingling around with my keys, but I never used it again. Um, I don't really think about it. There is an easier way for me to get what I want and what I need, right? The easier way is just type in the code and go in. But I leave my key fob in my pocket just in case, right? Because the last thing I want is for Jason to play a practical joke and change the code or the door doesn't work and I can't get in the church one day and I have to go all the way a minute and a half to my house and, and then come, whatever it is, I don't wanna have to do that so I keep it in my pocket just in case, right? I don't even think about it. It doesn't cross my mind. When I walk up to the door, I don't think, should I use my key fob or the code? I just type the code in. And in a lot of ways, that can be how I view God, how I view Emmanuel, God with me, is there are easier ways to get what I need than turning to God. There are simpler ways. I've I've developed my life. When I'm stressed out, when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm happy, when I'm rejoicing, whatever it is, there are easier ways than turning to God to get my needs met. And so I go to those. And it's not like I make the active decision, right, to do that. It's not like I make the active decision. It's like, I'm really exhausted, had a stressful day. Let me binge Netflix instead of turn to God. I just binge Netflix, right? I don't even think, should I turn to God or not? It's automatic in my life. And I would say a lot of us have these areas of our lives that we have gotten into the habit of turning to other things rather than to God. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at how David, in one of his Psalms, turn to God. And we're going to learn a couple of lessons, a couple of keys from David's life about what does it look like to, to regain the art and the practice of turning to God in the midst of life. And so we're going to be in Psalm 34 today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 34. I'll have it up on the screen. Um, but if you're a Bible person like me, uh, you can get out your hard copy. So Psalm 34 and quick table of contents. First, we're going to cover the context of the Psalm. Where in David's life did he write this? What was going on? Uh, And then next, we're gonna look at the first half, verses one through three, and we're gonna look at one key of David's life um, of how to, how to lean on Emmanuel. Um, And then next, we're gonna look at verses four through eight and look at two more keys. But before we do, I'm gonna pray again um, and ask the Lord to just bless this time in his word. Uh, So I'll close your eyes with me. God, I, I, in my preparation and my thoughts and my study, still don't have what it takes uh, on my own to communicate your word. But Holy Spirit, you come. Uh, when your word is preached, you come and you move and you change hearts, you convict lives. Pray that you would do that now as we come to your word. Let us come expectantly, expecting you to speak to us through your word, um, to convict us, to train us, to lead us. Pray these things in your name, amen. All right, Psalm 34. Uh, so look at verse zero with me, all right? Psalm 34, zero, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. All right, we're gonna stop there, all right? Not many Psalms have this little verse zero, right? It's a little introduction and it's super helpful because it tells us exactly what's happening when David wrote this Psalm. So we're gonna actually jump back to 1 Samuel 21. It'll be up on the screen. 1 Samuel 21 and see exactly what was happening in David's life when this happened. So if you don't know, David was anointed by Samuel to be king. But the odd thing was, is there was already a king and his name was Saul. And Saul was rejected by the Lord because of his pride. Instead of turning to God, Saul turned to himself and he worshiped himself rather than worshiping God. So God rejected Saul, but Saul didn't wanna get off the throne, did he? And so he kept his throne, but David was the anointed king. And so what happens here is that Saul brings David into his house, right? Keep your enemies closer. Brings David into his house to keep an eye on him. 
Well, Saul, everyone starts to love David, love David, love David, and Saul gets fed up. And so Saul throws a spear at David and tries to kill him. David flees. And so David, this is, we're stepping into this at the beginning of David on the run from Saul, who has been a father to him, but now his greatest enemy. So he just left a town called Nob. It's a great name for a town, isn't it? Left a town called Nob, and he's fleeing. And this is what it says, verse 10. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So what's happening here is David's running from Saul. He can't go anywhere in Israel because Saul's the king and he's gonna kill him, right? So he runs to an enemy nation, uh, the Philistines to Gath. And the king of Gath, King Asian, basically David is coming before Achish, or otherwise known as Abimelech, and he's saying, please give me refuge. I need refuge with you. I'm running for my life. And so he appears before the king, and the king is like a courtroom, right? And the king has some options. The king can accept David um, and use David as maybe blackmail in some way in the future, but accept David, give him refuge. He can make David a slave, right? Um, he can send David back to Israel, or he can kill David. Okay, so as David's laying out his case and Achish is standing there, David realizes in verse 12 that this interview is going poorly, right? He sees it in Achish's eyes, I'm not gonna make it out of here alive. So I don't know if you've ever been in a job interview or something like that where you realize it's not going well, right? Um, David's in that situation. And put yourself in issues, what would you do, right? He could fall on his face and say, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me, I beg you, I'm not gonna do anything. He'd say, I'm out of here, I'm just gonna leave, forget I ever asked, I'm going, right? Well, he takes option number eight, right? And he does this, verse 13. So David changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and make marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard, right? What a verse. Uh, Then verse 14, then Achish said to his servants, behold, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so he sent him off. And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. All right, weird, right? Weird context. Why in the world would David include this humiliating story in the Bible again in Psalm 34? Well, um, this, is, this is why David, David's life, this psalm is not just a general psalm we're about to read. This wasn't just David writing a praise song to be sung by the nations. David is in a specific moment in his life. And this is the moment he's in. He is is running for his life from Saul. He is scared to death, right? And he's about to die. He escapes with his life from Achish. And so he's rejoicing, he's happy, but at the same time, he's still running for his life, right? And then the next story we find out is that Saul goes to Nob, the town that, that helped David, and he murders every man, woman, and child and beast in the town completely obliterated because one person helped David. So now David's thinking, he's got this on his soul and it says he was grieved in spirit when he heard about it. He regrets it. So David has all these emotions, right? And on top of that, he's sitting in the cave of Adullam for maybe months throwing rocks at a wall, right? He can't go anywhere. People are gonna kill him, right? So he's got all, he's got the most severe trial. He's got the most serious triumph and he's got the worst tedium, the worst mundaneness you could ever think sitting in a cave throwing rocks. That's all he's doing for months. And out of that place comes this psalm. Let's read it together. I will bless the Lord at all times. He's saying, even in this, if I can bless the Lord right now, I can bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. What? Like if you were to sit down in that moment, you're in the cave of Adullam, you just heard that Saul's killed an entire town because of you, you're running for your life, right? And, and you're, you're bored to death. What would you write? Why? Why, 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 why? Like why did you let this town die? And why did Achish make me behave like a madman? And why did all my friends now know that I'm in crazy person, right? And, and why am I on the road? Why, why did you call me to be king? Why not somebody else, right? That's what I would have said. But here's the thing. David doesn't want to know. He doesn't need to know why, right? Because why isn't going to help him remain unshaken by life. And that's the question we're gonna ask today. How does David teach us to remain unshaken by life? Because as Christians, the way that we approach 2021 should be fundamentally different than non-Christians, shouldn't it? Because we have Emmanuel God with us, right? I don't know how you handle 2020. It doesn't matter how you handle 2020. But 2021, this pandemic's not going anywhere. Um, the political division's not going anywhere. Uh, the turmoil around the world's not going anywhere, right? 2021 is, 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 is shaping up to be a tough year, infinitely more, right, than we could ever ask or think. Um, how you handle 2021 as a Christian with Emmanuel with you should be fundamentally different. So let's see what David teaches us about remaining unshaken by life. So uh, I have uh, two little daughters. Um, one's three and a half and one is 10 months. And I remember when I left uh, my senior year of high school, I left, I left high school, went to college, and I feel like I knew more about parenting than I do now. Does anyone else feel like that? Like when you left your parents' house, it's like I knew, I knew so much about parenting. I was a genius, right? And then I did youth ministry for five years. And then I really knew a lot about parenting, right? I knew how all y'all were doing it wrong. Um, but but what I, I was, I've been quickly humbled. And one of the things I walked out away from is I will never answer the question why the way my parents, especially my mom, answered the question why. How do moms answer the question why? Because I said so, right? And I left high school thinking I will never tell my kids that answer, ever, right? Um, and so me, like most uh, millennial parents, love to give the why behind everything. And so I tried it for two months with my three-year-old. I would answer why, right? Why do I need to pick up my toys? Well, because we want to tidy a room. Why, do my, why does my room need to be tidy? Well, because we don't we want to take care of our things. Why do we need to take care of my things? Well, and, and literally for five minutes. And then she starts back over at the beginning again, right? And she's never pleased with the answer. And she doesn't get it. And what I realized is she's not going to get it. Or she doesn't want to. But she's not gonna get the answer. Like, I, there's no way I can communicate to this three-year-old mind why she needs to clean her room, right? I don't really know either. But I can't communicate it to her, right? And, and, so, that, and so what I've ended up saying is, what did I say? Because I said so, right? Because I said, and, and what I'm not doing, what I didn't realize when I was a kid that I realized now, what I'm not doing is saying, is, is just blowing her off saying, hey, get out of my face, right? I don't like your questions, that's, that's, what, that's how, what it feels like as a kid. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, hey, trust me, right? Trust me. Listen to me. I, it's gonna be better for you and for me and for our whole family if you listen to me, right? Because I said so. You can trust me in this moment, right? David doesn't need to know why because he knows God, and that's enough, right? David doesn't need to know why because he knows God, and that's enough for him. Is that enough for you today? 
Do you know God and that's enough? Or are you stuck in this place of asking why, 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 why God? Why this, why that, why in my life, why me? Or do you trust God? Do you know God? Do you trust him as your father? Do you trust him to lead you and to lead your life? David learns that when he's faced with the inexplicable in life, he doesn't need answers, he needs faith. That's what we all need. When we're faced with things that confuse us and things we don't understand, we need to trust in God. And the best way to do that is key number one, worship. Worship Emmanuel. And look at, verse, look at chapter 34. Look how, look how this builds. David's worship builds in the first three verses. First verse, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He, this is in the secret place. This is David saying, me alone, by myself, in the morning, in the evening, all throughout the day, I am worshiping God alone. See, the beginning of our worship starts out in the secret place. Is that you? Do you have a secret place? Do you have a private worship time where you're before the, the Lord in your word and, and prayer and worship? That's where his worship starts, but it doesn't stop there. Look at verse two. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Boasting isn't something you do to yourself, right? You boast to other people. So he's saying, not only does my worship stay here, just me and God, but it comes out to other people. I boast about the Lord. I testify of God's goodness to the people around me. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse three. It builds even more. Oh, you magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, right? It's not only private, it's not only shared, but it's invitational, right? He invites others. Hey, look at what God did for me. Let's magnify Jesus's name. That's the type of worship that allows David to remain unshaken by life. So key number one for remaining unshaken by life is worship Emmanuel, God with you. How's your worship? How's your worship? In your private life, do you worship persistently at all times? Do you worship passionately? Do you worship intentionally? Do you set aside time? Is this the tone and tenor of your life where you are a man or a woman who worships God? You're a worshiper. And, and how's your worship before other people? How's your boasting in God? What, what, what do you boast in? Do you boast in God? Do you boast in the things he's done for you? What are the things when the, in conversation you like to bring up, right, about yourself? What are the things you want people to ask you? Or, or let's ask this way. What are the things when you walk in a new room that, you, that give you confidence, the things you think of this like, ooh, I've got this car or this job or, or I look this way or whatever it is and therefore I can walk in here with confidence, right? It's pride in our hearts. What is the pride in your heart? Or maybe you're the other way. Maybe you struggle with insecurity and what is it when you walk in a room that makes you melt into a puddle, right? Is it the way other people look? Is it the car they drive, the job, job they work, um, their, their, their spouse or maybe no, what, what is it? Their kids? What are those things? Because the pride of your heart the pride of your heart is important to God. Are you boasting in God? Are you worshiping him? And then are you magnifying Jesus to others? Magnify not like a microscope, making something minuscule look bigger so you can explore it. Magnify like a telescope, right? Being to, looking at a planet that's infinitely huge and letting people see it for what it is. Are you a telescope so other people can see the immeasurable vastness of your God? Is that who you are to other people? How is your worship? David's call to us heading into 2021, is to worship Emmanuel. Let's see what the next thing is. Look back at Psalm 34, verses four through eight. David goes on to say this. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, I, I love this chapter. I love these verses, and I'm actually not gonna hit my two favorite parts. I love the, those who look to me radiant. I love taste and see. I'm not even gonna hit those. So if those are your favorites too, I'm sorry. Uh, Clint next week is gonna talk about the overflow of the life of a believer. Um, so he's gonna hit more of that next week. Uh, but our first thing we're gonna look at is look in verse four and verse six. Verse four, it says at the end, he, God delivered me from all my fears. In verse six, some repetition, he saved me from all my troubles or distresses, okay? So God delivers from fears and he saves from distresses, okay? And this passage, I think for us, is really important for the church theologically uh, because all through the Bible, we see testimonies of God's actual deliverance, right? So when, when God delivered uh, Israel through Gideon, when they had 300 people and God delivered them from tens of thousands, God actually delivered. And, and when God delivers David from Achish, right? And he goes crazy and God delivers him. God actually delivered him. And in moments when God answers prayer and every believer, if you're a Christian, you carry testimonies of God's miraculous provision or his, his everyday faithfulness. And God does answer prayer today in actuality, right? But a lot of times, a lot of us, let's just think about this last year, a lot of you prayed that COVID would go away, right? It didn't. Right? A lot of you prayed maybe for a family member who was sick. Maybe they didn't get well. A lot of you prayed for our political climate. It didn't get any better. It's, it's worse. Right? A lot of you prayed for all these things and God didn't actually answer. But look what God promises to do. What does God do for David? Because David was delivered from Achish, but he's still in a world of hurt right now, isn't he? He's still in a world of hurt. He's running for his life from Saul. Everyone he knows is getting murdered. Right? He's in a world of hurt and God is not delivering him from that hurt, though he's crying out for it. But what God does for him is delivers him from his fears and distresses. Delivers him from his fears and distresses. Not the thing he's afraid of, but fear itself, right? Our response to fear will define our lives, okay? Your response to your fears and the stresses of your life will define your life. And, and there will always be things to be afraid of, won't there? Always will. And there will be always things, especially in America, to stress you out, okay? And, and, and if you are broken by that, if you're shaken by that, if you don't allow the Lord to deliver you from those fears and distresses, that will define your life. So what does David teach us in this passage about how we remain unshaken when faced by the fears and distresses of life? Two things. The first one is this, by having a refuge to run to. Look at verse eight. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Christ, in him. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That is how David is saying that we are delivered from our fears and distresses, is by running to a refuge. Um, a refuge in the Bible is, is a place where you're totally safe. A refuge isn't just a hiding spot, right? It's not like a big hide-and-go-seek game and you found a good closet to hide in, right? That's not what a refuge is. A refuge is a, a city of refuge. was a place that if you just, if you're on the run from somebody, you could run to a city of refuge and the entire city would protect you from that person, okay? That's a refuge. A refuge is a place of peace, of calm, of safety, of provision, of protection, right? That's what David's talking about here is that those who run to the Lord, run to the Lord and find that refuge, um, so I went to the beach this summer with my family um, and I've got two younger brothers uh, and we're out there. One thing I love at the beach is building sandcastles. Anybody else like building sandcastles? Is it just me? 
Man, I feel really alone right now. Um, there's only a couple of you. So building sandcastles. And so I love to go out there. But the thing was, is when I left like elementary school or middle school, it's no longer culturally appropriate for me to sit on the beach and build sandcastles, right? Which is hard for me. But now I have a three-year-old, right? So when our family goes to the beach, my brothers and I can sit around building sandcastles. We have every excuse in the world, right? There's a three-year-old running around. She doesn't build them, right? We do. But we can tell people when they walk by, hey, isn't that great? This three-year-old built that right? You know? And so I was sitting on the beach with my brother, one of my brothers, and he's like 6'4", 230, you know, huge dude. And, and I'm 6'8", 280, you know, muscular man. And we're sitting there, manly men, right? Building these sandcastles, massive sandcastle network. And this lady walks by, looks over, and it's like, oh, great job. That's a beautiful sandcastle, guys. And I was utterly humiliated, right? And I was, in that moment, I, I, I couldn't do anything but lie, right? I was like, oh, I didn't build this, right? We, we, ha- we have a three-year-old. She's up at the house not going to the potty, but I promise she built all this. We're just sitting here watching it, right? So the waves don't get it. So anyway, I love to build sandcastles, and, and I love building sandcastles right next to the tide when it's coming in, okay? So I'm, man, it's embarrassing. So when I, I build these sandcastles there, and I build moats and walls, and I try to protect my little drip castle from the waves, right? And it's this intense 30 minutes of my beach vacation where these waves are coming in, and they're crashing, and I'm like digging more moats, and the sands, the water's just wiping the sand away, and eventually my sandcastle gets taken out to sea, right? But the whole time, I'm in this intense moment, right? I'm not afraid, right? Well, of course you're not. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid partially because it's a small wave in a tiny sandcastle, but I'm not afraid because I can look up behind me and I can see the beach house, right? That's my house. This isn't my house. This isn't my home. If this sandcastle gets wiped away, I'm, not, I'm gonna have a place to sleep tonight, right? I'm not afraid. Are you looking to your home? Because what does the Bible tell us? This is not our home. And it sure feels a lot like it sometimes. But we have a better home, an eternal home, a home you're gonna spend the rest of your life in. And that home can't be swept away by the ways of life. And David teaches us that in those moments when we're caught up in the fears and stresses and the turmoil of life, that God, he's saying, if he wipes you out totally, your family, your your life, your home, your job, everything out, you still can be joyful and not fear because you have a refuge, you have a home to look to. So David's call is to look to the refuge. This is the second thing he tells us. Look in verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. The second thing David tells us is to have a greater fear. The second way he delivers us from fear is to have a greater fear than our fears, right? Who's the angel of the Lord? Uh, All throughout the Old Testament, whenever the angel of the Lord comes up, it is what's called a Christophany, right? And at first, the, the person interacting with the angel of the Lord thinks it's an angel, right? And, and then suddenly halfway through the conversation, things start to shift and the person realizes, no, 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 this isn't an angel. This is God himself come down to speak with me. The angel of the Lord is Jesus himself. And so what this is saying is Jesus Christ himself encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Um, how many of you, uh, I hope I get more hands than I have before. How many of you have ever read the children's masterpiece, The Gruffalo? Oh, no. Man, all right, so forget all my application points. Go home, get on Amazon uh, or Thrift Books or your favorite ordering, order the Gruffalo, get the collector's edition. It is a coffee table classic, okay? The Gruffalo is a children's book um, that, I, that we found about in England. It was written over there and it is a masterpiece. It is incredible. Um, and so it starts out with a, a mouse took a stroll through a deep, dark wood and, and 
a fox saw the mouse and the mouse looked good. Where are you going to, little brown house? Come and have lunch in my underground house, right? We know where this is going, right? That's frightfully kind of you, fox, but no, I'm going to have lunch with a gruffalo. <gasps> a gruffalo? What's a gruffalo? A gruffalo, why didn't you know? He has terrible tusks and his terrible jaws and terrible teeth in his terrible jaws. His eyes are orange, his tongue is black. He has purple prickles all over his back. Where are you meeting him? Here. By these rocks, and his favorite food is roasted fox. Roasted fox, I'm off, fox said. And away to his house, the little fox fled. Silly old fox, doesn't he know there's no such thing as a gruffalo? Now, at this point, every adult knows where the story's going, right? There is such thing as a gruffalo. So the mouse then strolls further, and he encounters an owl. And he says, his favorite food is owl ice cream. To it, to who? It's off I flew. And away to the trees, the little owl flew. Right, silly old owl. Doesn't he know there's no such thing as a gruffalo? Then he encounters a snake. His favorite food is scrambled snake. Yikes! And the snake slithers away to his little log pile home. Silly old snake, doesn't he know there's no such thing as a gruffalo? Oh! Right? And he turns around in the plot twist, right? There's the gruffalo standing in front of him. He says, who is this creature with terrible claws and terrible teeth in his terrible jaws? He's got knobbly knees and turned out toes and a poisonous wart at the end of his nose. His eyes are orange, his tongue is black. He's got purple prickles all over his back. Oh, help, oh no, it's a... Gruffalo, right? And so this mouse encounters the Gruffalo, and the Gruffalo looks at him and he says, Ooh, my favorite food. You'll taste good on a slice of bread, right? And the mouse, thinking quickly, says, Good. The mouse said, Don't call me good. I'm the scariest creature in this wood. Just walk behind me, and soon you'll see everyone is afraid of me. All right, said the Gruffalo, bursting with laughter. You go ahead, and I'll follow after, right? And so then we have the mouse walking through the woods and the Gruffalo behind him. And they walked and walked until the gruffalo said, I hear a hiss in the leaves ahead, right? And then the snake comes out. Oh, it's snake, mouse said. Why snake, hello. Snake took one look at the gruffalo. Oh, crumb, snake said, right? And, and, he, and he slid off to his log pile home. And the gruffalo is astounded. And then they encounter the owl. And the owl looks, takes one look at the gruffalo and he's like, ah! And he flies away and then he goes to the fox. And the fox takes one look at the gruffalo and he goes away, right? They're scared of the gruffalo falling on the mouse. And I'm not gonna tell you the end of the story, so you have to order the book. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. Um, so, so go get it uh, right now. It's a great book. Um, we don't have a gruffalo behind us, right? But we have Emmanuel, God with us, the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, encamped around you. And it's different because when you walk into a store, people don't, ah, and flee to their log pile home, Right? They're not scared of Jesus. They're not scared of God. They, they think he's small and weak and minuscule, right? Our culture does right now, don't they? They show it by the way they act. They show it by the way they talk. And they're not scared. But, but let me tell you something. Ephesians 6 tells us that, that our battle is not against them, is it? Our battle isn't against people. It's not against sicknesses. It's not against family or finances. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, right? That is our battle. And let me tell you something. When you, Christian, walk in a room, they flee to their log pile homes, right? They are scared to death of Christ who's encamped around you. That gives us confidence. We have a greater fear walking behind us and encamped around us. And, and God is not like gullible Gruffalo who, who comes and follows us wherever we go and we, we can manipulate him and make him do what he wants. God goes behind us, he goes before us, he's all around us and we follow him, right? And that gives us confidence to face fear because we have a greater fear. What are you afraid of today? What, what, what in 2020 has got you scared? 
What has got you stressed out going into the new year? All right, because you have a greater fear. God himself with you encamped around you. Key number two for remaining unshaken by life is to fear Emmanuel. Fear Emmanuel. So let's go to the next thing. So the last point is this. Um, Look at verse four. David says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Let's stop there. All right, the word sought is the word seek, which is darash. It's It's a Hebrew word. And Hebrew words, I don't know if you knew this, but Hebrew words are word pictures, a lot of them, especially the nouns and the verbs. And a lot of times they'll, they'll have a word picture which will carry with it more meaning than the word itself, right? Like I said, refuge earlier is more than just like a, a cave. Refuge has all these connotations. In the same way, this word darash is to tread or trample as a path. That's literally what the word means. So seek means to walk a path until it is well beaten, right? It's it's imagine a path through the woods that no one put there, but people keep walking on it, right? And it's well beaten because it's been traveled very often. To seek something is to go there again and again and again and again and again and again until the pathway there is well-trod, well-beaten. Does that make sense? And what this means for us and what this meant for David is that we don't seek one time, right? Seeking is not a one-time passionate prayer. It's not this one-off, you got a big decision to make and so you try to go pray before the Lord and you're crying and you're weeping and all this stuff and that's seeking, I just sought the Lord, right? That's not all seeking is. It includes that, but seeking has to be more. You see, David could have that one-time plea to God when he was in front of Achish, scared for his life. He could cry out to God and seek God then because he sought God often. He could seek God in that moment because he sought God often. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I don't have it built into my life to seek God, to go to him again and again and again, sometimes I'll have a big moment or a big decision or a big fear and I'll try to go to the Lord and it's like, I don't know what I'm doing there, right? I know how to pray, but, but I, don't, I don't know what to say, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, and then it's like two minutes later, I'm like on my email, right? And it's like, well, that was a prayer time on the train. Right? And, and, the, and the reason is, is I know how to pray. I can pray all day. I don't know how to seek, right? Because I haven't gone there often enough. It's like I lose my, it's like I lose my way on the way to the throne of grace. I don't know how to get there. It's overgrown, right? Now, theologically, that's wrong because God is always with us, but, but if you don't make a practice of seeking Emmanuel, going to God again and again and again, it makes it difficult to run to him. And it makes it easier to run to all the other things, to all the other door codes that we run to in our life, the easy ways out instead of seeking Emmanuel. And the question for us is this, have you let the path to the throne of grace get overgrown in your absence? Have you let the path to the throne of grace get overgrown in your absence? Or are you there often? Are you constantly going there throughout your day, in the morning, in the evening, when you're faced with something difficult? Are you going to the throne of grace? When when there's something good in your life and and a time to rejoice, do you run there to thank God and to worship him? The flip side of this is where do you go? Um, So how many of you have been to Furman University? Right here. So I visited Furman, great college, beautiful campus. I was gonna go there, went to UGA, go dogs. And um, so Furman, what, what I heard, I don't know if it's true, but what I heard on my tour uh, is that the landscape architect, when they built Furman, they didn't put in any sidewalks. And they let students walk through the grass and walk through, the, through everywhere to the class for two years. And then after two years, they laid the sidewalks where the students naturally walked, okay? It's pretty cool, right? Um, so, and actually, it was surprisingly geometric, so it might not have been true. But it's a cool example. Um, the other side of the coin for us is where, where would I lay the sidewalks in your life? All right, where are those places you go? Where are those things you run to? 
Where in 2020 did you keep going when you were stressed out, when you were sad, when you were grieved, when you were lonely? Where did you keep going? What were the things, right? Was it maybe a beer, a bourbon? Was it Netflix? Was it the news? Was it shopping? Was it social media? Was it food? Where was it? Was it YouTube? Was it video games? Where did you go? Where, where is that place you keep going again and again? And these are good things that we make ultimate things and we make God, right? And let me tell you something. You went somewhere. If you weren't on your knees, on your face, before the Lord, seeking him, you went somewhere else. You were worshiping some other God. It wasn't Christ you were worshiping. And there is a pathway or many in your life that you run to to seek, and the challenge David has for us is seek the Lord. Don't let the path to the throne of grace get overgrown. Don't run to these other things. Run to him. Pull out the key fob again, right? Like begin to run to him. He is Emmanuel. He is with you. And yeah, it's gonna be hard at first. If you haven't been there in a while, it's gonna be hard to find your way. It's gonna feel awkward. It's gonna feel boring. But let me tell you, if you make it your practice to have that path well trampled and to go again and again to the throne of grace, God will bless you beyond all measure. David in this psalm is calm, peaceful, confident because he knows his God and he knows how to seek him. And listen, guys, I, I know it's wrong. It's wrong to run to other things, isn't it? It's sinful and God hates it because it's worship. We're worshiping those things. But listen, we, we have a redeemer. Look at verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Listen, I don't know what you've run to in 2020. I don't know the, the, the maybe miniature addictions you've picked up. I don't know the, the small dependencies you've gone to. But listen, there is a redeemer. A redeemer that not only keeps you from condemnation because of Christ on a cross, but a redeemer that pulls you out of the pits that you've dug for yourself. That's our God. That's the angel of the Lord who encamps around you. He redeems, he pulls you out of the pit. He forgives, he died on the cross for you. He doesn't, he doesn't overlook your sin. He redeems it, he washes it away with his blood. That is your God. You and I have a redeemer. Praise God, I need that news. That is good and needed news for my soul today. So key number three for remaining unshaken by God, by life, is to seek Emmanuel. To seek Emmanuel. So what is your 2021 resolution? About to leave this year, go into the next. Next Sunday is gonna be 2021. What is your 2021 resolution? As for me in my house, we will worship Emmanuel. We'll worship him in the secret place. We'll worship him into one another, boasting in the Lord. We'll magnify Jesus together. As for me in my house, we will fear Emmanuel. We'll run to him for a refuge. We'll have him around us and walk confidently. And as for me and my house, we will seek Emmanuel. We won't strive to run to these other places. We will make the, the path to the throne of grace well packed down. What about you? Let's pray. Father, you're so joyful that we have a redeemer. <laughs> that you, Jesus, are our strong tower, you're our refuge, you're our rock, but you're our redeemer, God. And, and I know for a lot of us, 2020 did not go as we planned and we didn't react to it like we wanted. God, but we have forgiveness and redemption. We have a life of no condemnation ahead of us. And Father, I pray for each of us in this room that we would seek out the face of Emmanuel, that we would run hard 
after you, Jesus. God, in the trials to come this year, and the triumphs to come, the good times and the tediums, the mundane times, Lord, that we would run to you, seek your face, find our joy and our satisfaction in Emmanuel. Jesus, we love you. I pray that as we worship you now, that we would magnify your name together, King Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.